Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Ramadan Mubarak to you and yours. This Ramadan, as we all gather to share a meal with our loved ones, we need to remember those in Gaza who are also gathering to share a meal with so many who aren't there that were just there a year ago. Since October the 7th, the Human Development Fund has assisted over 200,000 people in Gaza, providing them with essential aid, such as food baskets, water, hot meals, winter items, shelter, hygiene kits, and baby formula. Your generous contributions are making a significant impact, especially in Rafah. Let's sustain this momentum and continue providing crucial support during this sacred and blessed month. Please visit hdfund.org slash qalam. That's hdfund.org slash qalam, Q-A-L-A-M, to learn more about our global reach this Ramadan and choose where you'd like to direct your support during this blessed month. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make this month a time of mercy, solace, acceptance, and triumph for the ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And may Allah continue to use all of us as a means and never replace us. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. This is Abdul Nasir Jengda and you're listening to the Qalam Podcast. The Qalam Podcast has become an important part of people's lives all around the world. There are millions of people benefiting from the podcast every single day. Thousands of hours of content, dozens of different series from all the different teachers and scholars here at Qalam. All of this is delivered to the community free of charge. We are excited and actively working to grow and increase our efforts to deliver more and more benefit to the community. We ask you to support our efforts and become part of the Qalam family. Please go to qalamfamily.com and sign up to contribute to this Sadaqa Jariya on a monthly basis. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us. Jazakumullahu khayran. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Alhamdulillah, wa kafa wa salaman ala ibadihi ladhi nustafa. Khususan ala Sayyidi Rasuli wa Khatim al-Anbiya. Wa ala alihi naskiya wa ashabihi naskiya amma ba'd. With Ramadan approaching, with Ramadan approaching, we reflect on the ayah of Surah Baqarah in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes direct mention of the Qur'an and Ramadan. Allah azawajal says, شَهْرُ رَمَضَانَ الَّذِي أُنزِلَ فِيهِ Quran." The month of Ramadan is unique and special. And among the many beautiful offerings and gifts Ramadan carries, one of them is that the Qur'an was revealed in this month. And the night specifically that was that it was revealed in, Allah revealed a surah dedicated just to that night. As human beings living in a very complicated, sophisticated world in, 
There is a battle occurring every day of thoughts, loyalties, what's right, what's wrong, what we should do, what we shouldn't do. As human beings, we're very interested in this concept and this idea of what's right, what's wrong. What is morality, what is immoral? Governments, kings, rulers have tried to dictate, have tried to dictate the essence of morality and human beings and cultures have created their own version of this as well. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saves us from the trial and error circus. And he gives us what is guidance. And the beautiful thing about the guidance that's given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that it is absolute. It's timeless. That guidance applies to one generation a thousand years ago. And it applies to a second generation 500 years ago. And it applies to the generation that we are with today. What we believe regarding revelation is that it is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the creator of creation and time and space itself. He created all these dimensions. And for his knowledge of everything that happens in any place or time is absolute and complete. We see in a dimension, there is no dimension that limits our creator, Allah And this is why the monotheism that Muslims hold dear is so pure that no other faith in the world can ever come close to the Tawheed of Islam. It's very pure. And it's summarized in Surah Ikhlas, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٌ اللَّهُ لَمْ يَلِدْ وَلَمْ يُولَدْ وَلَمْ يَكُنْ لَهُ كُفُوًا أَحَدٌ There can never be anyone comparable, similar, on the same lane or par as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is No one can see him and he can see all. Very subtle and all knowing. That's the greatness and knowledge of Allah Azza wa Jal. I was speaking with some young folks and they were telling me about this very nice school they go to. It's one of those high schools that you pay $60,000, $70,000 a year to go to. So uh, the student was saying to me that in our uh, literature class, we studied the Bible. So the moment I heard that, it threw me off my chair. Without another word of explanation, I knew this was going to end very bad. Anytime revelation is being studied in a lit class, that's the, unless the person teaching it really knows what they're doing, and unless they're towing that line very carefully, and they themselves are loyal to revelation and understand how delicate of a subject they are dealing with. Unless all those things are taken into consideration, this is going to be an absolute train wreck. So then the individual continued to tell me that we study the Bible as a book written by an author. See, this is with every statement, it gets darker. And in literature, when you're studying any book, you're trying to understand the political context, the time, the agriculture, the economy of the time, the people, the social norms, the society. And then understanding the rulings are limited to that culture, to that time, to that place. So now we're seeing how much of the Bible is relevant in our time as 
relevant as it was in that time. And in order to pull it all together, in order for this uh, assignment, this task, this little uh, semester of theirs to be pulled together, they did the ultimate dance. In every lit class, there is a play. So they did a play of the Bible. Someone acted like God. Someone acted like Isa Someone acted like Mary. And the disciples came in and they played out certain scenes from the Bible. And I thought to myself, all praises for Allah that we haven't reached there yet. Allah knows what the future holds and what we will be. On the way here, I was telling the brothers that I was driving with two weeks ago, I read in the news regarding the Muka'a project. You guys heard about the Muka'a project? Yes. Muhammad bin Salman announced it two weeks ago. He's building a Ka'wa in Riyadh, and they're calling it the Muka'a project. And his, um, he's, uh, his claim is that it's supposed to house the equivalent of 20-something Empire State buildings. It's like the guy is like really interested and obsessed with Abraham. Do we not know what happened there and how bad of an idea this is on so many levels? May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give hidayah and protect uh, the Muslims of the future. Only Allah knows what fitnas await them there. Allah out of his infinite kindness and mercy showered his mercy upon us by giving us the leader and best of all prophets. Sayyid al-Mursaleen, Muhammad al-Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam didn't come to us empty-handed. He came with a beautiful gift. He came with the Qur'an. Guidance. That's how the Qur'an describes itself. Anytime Muslims connect themselves to the Qur'an, they are honored and lifted. When they understand what the Qur'an is, when they build a relationship with the Qur'an. But when the Muslims drift from the Qur'an, their identity is now broken. They no longer have loyalty to one another. They have no loyalty to their faith. Their faith is now a passive identity. And they lose focus on the ultimate end, which is the grave in the hereafter. Every guidance of the Qur'an takes all matters into consideration. If I were to pass a policy, it might be applicable in one state, in one country, but won't work in another place because I'm taking my place, my time into consideration. Where Islamic law has flexibility for cultures and people, its universal principles are not bound by time. And ultimately, where the Quran is guidance for us in this world, those very same acts and those very same stories and those lessons that are in the Qur'an serve as guidance for us in the Akhirah as well. There's not a Qur'an for the dunya and then a second Qur'an for the Akhirah. It's one. All the ahkam, all the rulings are intertwined and they're in one another. So the wisest thing a human being can do in this world is to build a strong acquaintance with this revelation to build a very strong bond. So as you're out there in the treacherous waves of the world, you don't get toppled over. Someone's calling you in one place, another person's calling you over there, the third person's calling you over there. 
And in the world of social media, with all the ideas of the world being thrusted at you in your feed, it gets a little overwhelming. So sometimes you just need to shut out all the noise and go back to this lantern that has kept the world bright for hundreds of years and over a thousand, over a millennium. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he tells us that this is where you need to be. This is what you need to hold on to. This is the right path. Hold on to the Qur'an. As the month of Ramadan approaches, it's an opportunity for us to revisit our relationship with the Qur'an. Negligence on our part to the Qur'an is something that's not even worth discussing. Everyone knows where they stand and unfortunately how much neglect there is at every level, at every single level, at the level of recitation, at the level of pronunciation, at the level of understanding, at the level of consistency, at the level of reflection, at the level of just making it your friend and something that's close to you, at all of it. At every single level, there is unfortunately a tremendous amount of negligence to the Qur'an. The month of Ramadan is an opportunity for us to go back, to go back and visit our family, to go back and visit our friend, to go back and visit our guide, and to recommit and connect with the Qur'an. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, شَهْرُ رَمَضَانَ الَّذِي أُنزِلَ فِيهِ الْقُرْآنُ هُدَلِّ النَّاسِ وَبَيِّنَاتٍ مِّنَ الْهُدَى وَالْفُرْقَانِ the Qur'an was revealed in the month of Ramadan. It is a guidance and clear proof, and it is Al-Furqan. It is that which differentiates between right and wrong. This is the name of the Qur'an, Al-Furqan. That it tells you what's right and what's wrong, what to do, what not to do. Shaykh al-Hind, Muhammad al-Hassan, Deobandi ta'ala, he said this point that if Muslims lose the Qur'an, they no longer have a common identity. And that's the reason why the Muslim Ummah is so broken. He lives at a time where the Ottoman Empire is being toppled and now we have Jordan, which is different from Syria, which is different from Palestine, which was all previously just one big shadow. And now these are three different regions. What happened? How did our identities break? How did we break apart so easily? We lost our common identity. The one thing every Muslim is loyal to without any question and if they're not loyal to the Qur'an, their iman has gone out their heart. The one thing we're all loyal to is the Qur'an. So we need to bring the ummah back there. Bring the community back to the Qur'an. Guide people to be confident to build a relationship with the Qur'an. I know it's a big task, and it may feel overwhelming. But not trying also is not an option. Our akhirah is contingent upon this. We need to do this. How sad would it be that on the Day of Judgment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks us that I gave you the Qur'an, what did you do with it? It almost takes for a person to lose something to recognize its value. In Arabic, they have a famous proverb, that when a blessing is absent, a person appreciates its value. When someone doesn't have something. Go and look at parts of the world where and even in our history, 
where the Quran wasn't available to people. How far they went to access that Quran. How much sacrifice they were willing to take on. One of the most profound incidents in my life, I was once sitting in Majd al-Nabwi ala sahib alf, alf salawat. We were sitting in Majd al-Nabwi after Maghrib salah, just waiting for Isha salah, and I was reading Quran. There was this brother sitting next to me, and he saw me reading Quran. I had the Mus'haf closed, I was just reading. He turned to me and he asked me, are you Hafid? I said, Alhamdulillah, I memorized the Quran when I was young. I then asked him the same question, are you Hafid? And when I asked him that question, he was like offended. He was like, am I Hafid? Not only am I Hafid, my uncle's Hafid, my aunt's Hafid. All of my brothers are Hafid. All of my kids are Hafid. All of the grandkids are Hafid. Everyone in my community is Hafid. The Baqal is Hafid. Like the dude who works in the grocery store, the Sarraf is Hafid. He was really like almost offended. Like, how dare you even assume I'm not Hafid? So then I asked him, where are you from? So he told me the name of his village in Mauritania. So I was just interested. You know, what was it like memorizing the Quran? Where you're from? How do you guys do it? What's the system? I know our system, the Indo-Pak system, is a, it's a very unique sort of approach, a militant approach to the Quran, which is great. It works, right? I wanted to know what their system was. So I said, tell me, how do you do it? So he said, when we join the madrasa, we are given a loh, a little chalkboard. Everyone gets a little chalkboard and you're given a chalk. And you come to class and the sheikh writes down the ayah for you and you have to write it down. But everyone has a copy of the Quran, so you have that ayah for 24 hours. 24 hours later, those ayat will be erased and you will probably not see it again until the next time you see a mushaf in your life. So we would write it down and give extra attention. Every moment of the day, glance at that ayah again. After every salah, go take a look at the ayah. Correct it, read it, have someone listen, do it again. And in that state of being desperate, they built a relationship with the Quran that was, you know, it, it's known among people, the memory of the people of Mauritania. I mean, that's a verbal method. Everyone knows that these people are phenomenal when it comes to memorization. Similarly, I was once reading in a book regarding the um, Bosnian War and by extension, the Soviet rule of the time. They had outlawed Islam. So studying Islam was out of people's mind. This is even before the Bosnian War, that they studying Islam was out of the question. So Muslim parents to raise their children as Muslim, they would dig out basements, unauthorized, not in the blueprints, dig out little holes under their houses and they would cover them very carefully to make sure no one would know. Wake their kids up at 2 a.m. from their sleep and with candlelight, take them downstairs, open the Quran and teach them. This is the Kalam of Allah. You have to be connected to this. And in today's world where we have the opportunity to download any script of the Quran we'd like, any font of the Quran. You know, when I was preparing for this class, I was reading this bahath on there's a discussion among scholars whether it's permissible to use color when writing the Quran. Because for them, that was like a step too far. Is that necessary? Is it a good thing? Like, are you supposed to adorn the Quran like that? Specifically like red dots or red harakat? Is that a thing? Should you do that? And then there were those who were against it because they were more purist in the sense that 
keep things simple. The Quran isn't a piece of art. It's a book for guidance. So learn it, understand it. And then there were those who found beauty in that. That was beautiful. If there's anything in the world that's worth being written beautifully, it's the Quran. Right? So that's that sort of discussion. They had two different opinions on this issue. And I was thinking, subhanAllah, in our day and age, we can, you can just press a button, it'll change the font in the app that you have. You can press a button and select a translation you want. You don't have to even read the translation. You can have it read out to you. You don't have to even read the ayah. You can press a button and it'll read it to you. And not just one reader, you get to choose where you want a recitation from the Hijaz. Do it from the Hijaz. Do you want it from the like you know, the northern part, the southern part, the eastern, the western, which one do you want? It's all there. Do you want it from Egypt? You want it from the 90s, the 80s, the, the 2000s? You want it from Sudan? Right, everyone loves their Sudan, the Sudanese reciters. You want the Somali reciter? Where do you want it from? You choose, right? With the abundance of access that we have to the revelation, we lost respect for it. When something becomes abundant, the when something becomes abundant, people lose value for it. It's basic economics. Uh, high supply, low demand. High supply, low demand. But regardless of the economical element to this, we must never understand that not having a relationship with the Quran is not even an option. It needs to be something that you dedicate your day and night to. It needs to be a part of your life. Those of you who know how to read the Quran should teach it to someone else. That's the zakat of your Quran. I was once traveling somewhere and there was a sheikh who was also visiting that same community. So he was staying in a hotel. I went to visit him. When I went inside his room to meet him, he was a senior sheikh. So when I went inside his room to meet him, at that exact moment, in the hotel room, he was listening to the Qur'an of a young man. Since he was in town for three days, there was a student who wanted to read the whole Qur'an to the Shaykh and get ijazah. So in three days, he read the whole Qur'an off by heart. So when I walked in, at that time, he just did his khatam. He had just finished reading the Qur'an to Shaykh. So he did dua. And after doing dua, he then gave this young man nasiha, gave him some advice. And one of the things that he said to him, I was listening in attendance, that I taught you the Qur'an and I did not take a penny from you. The zakat of your Qur'an is that now you teach it to someone else for the sake of Allah. That's your tuition. Your tuition to me is, you will do this for someone else. That you will find someone else and you will sit with them and you will invest in them. And if, they, if they're terrified, if they're afraid, there was a young sister who met me this week and she, <laughs> we were walking around campus, a, a very humble and sincere person. I was showing them the Qalam campus and then the person asked, if there's someone who wants to learn to read the Quran, with a lot of emphasis on someone, what do they do? I understood this person was too shy to ask about himself. So then I said, you should tell that someone that intention is very good. And you should tell that someone that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is showering rahmah on their heart. And tell that someone this desire to learn the Quran, never give up on it. 
it might be a little tough. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's rahmah will always be with that someone. We'll take care of it. And today I got a message from the teacher uh, saying that we had our first Quran class today. And I also taught the student how to pray salah. And they said that they prayed most of their salah today, alhamdulillah. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen, walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allahu yajtabi ilayhi man yasha. He draws in whoever he wills. وَيَهْدِي إِلَيْهِ مَنْ يُنِيبُ And he guides those who turn to him. وَيَهْدِي إِلَيْهِ مَنْ يُنِيبُ So with Ramadan coming up, I wanted to dedicate um, a part of tonight to some adab of engagement with the Qur'an. What are some etiquettes that a person can have while connecting with the Qur'an? Imam Abu Hamid al-Ghazali, in his Kitabu Adabi Tilawat al-Qur'an, another chapter of the etiquettes, of Quran recitation. He has two separate chapters. Al-Bab al-Thani, the second chapter. We're not going to do the first one. The first one is Al-Bab al-Awwal fi Fadr al-Quran, regarding the virtue of the Quran. We've discussed that to some degree now. Obviously, in his book, he has the beautiful ayat of the Quran, regarding the Quran, the beautiful statements of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa in the second chapter, Al-Bab al-Thani fi zahiri adab al-tilawa. The external etiquettes to recitation. Those that are to do with the outside. Wahiya ashara, and they are ten. And then the third chapter is Al-Bab al-Thalith fi a'mal al-baltib fi al-tilawa. The internal doings when reciting the Qur'an. The internal side of it. Last year in the pre-Ramadan Qalam program, I covered the um, the Adab Batim, for those of you who want to reference that. But today I wanted to dedicate a little time to covering some of the Adab Zahir that Imam Ghazali has listed for us. We won't cover all of them, to be very clear, but we'll cover some of them. The first thing that Imam Ghazali says, Al-awwalu fi hal al وَهُوَ أَنْ يَكُونَ عَلَى الْوُضُوءِ وَاقِعًا عَلَى هَيْئَةِ الْأَدَبِ وَالسُّكُونِ إِمَّا قَائِمًا وَإِمَّا جَالِسًا مُسْتَقْبِرَ الْقِبْلَةِ مُطْرِقًا رَأْسَهُ غَيْرَ مُتَرَبِّعًا وَلَا مُتَّكِئٍ وَلَا جَالِسٍ عَلَى هَيْئَةِ التَّكَبُرِ وَيَكُونُ جُلُوسُهُ وَحْدَهُ كَجُلُوسِهِ بَيْنَ يَدَيْ أُسْتَاذٍ So the first thing that he says is regarding the posture of the one that's reading the Qur'an, the hal, the state that you're in. وَهُوَ the first thing is when you sit to read the Qur'an from the adab of the Qur'an is that you read it in the state of wudu. Now legally we know that if we're touching the Qur'an we must be in wudu. But even when it comes to recitation it is a beautiful thing that a person is in a pure state. When they do dhikr of Allah you should try to be in a pure state. The famous narration once Rasulullah relieved himself and someone said salam. Right when Rasulullah relieved himself, a person came and said salam. So the Prophet before responding to his salam did tayammum. To lower the state of impurity that he was in and then he gave his salam. 
Now, obviously, we know you don't need to be in wudu to give salam. That's not a legal ruling. It's more of a spiritual recommendation that Rasulullah did his tayammum, just lightening the state of impurity that he was in, and then gave his salam to that person. So, Qiyasan, building off of that, here we learn that whenever we sit to read the Quran, we should read the Quran in wudu. In a state and manner that represents a lot of respect. Was sukoon, calmness. Not hasty, not running around. Now, whether you're sitting or standing, that's up to you. But just make sure you're in a respectful place. Mustaqbir al qibla, ideally facing the qibla. Mutriqan ra'sahu, mutriqan atraqal ain to lower yourself. Mutriqan ra'sahu, lowering your head out of humility and humbleness while reading the Quran. Ghayra mutarabbi'ah. Mutarabbi'ah is someone who's sitting crisscross, right? Wala muttaki' wala jalis ala hayyati takabur. Neither should a person be leaning when they read the Quran. And neither should they be sitting in an arrogant manner. Now, what's the ruling on reading the Quran in a, in a, in a, in a way that you're crossing your legs or leaning against something? The truth is that these are all jives. If your style of sitting represents carelessness, that's not appropriate. You should sit in a manner that shows some adab and ihtiram. Some people have knee pain, so they need to sit cross-legged. It's completely okay. The external adab must be taken into consideration, but if the adab is so overwhelming that it deprives you of the act itself, then that's not good. Ultimately, the adab of the heart is what a person must never forget. There could be a person that's sitting on their knees, but they're not humble. Therefore, he brings the point, that a person is sitting in an arrogant manner. Someone sits leaning against something. It doesn't mean they're disrespectful. Every culture is different. You know, in the American culture, sitting on a chair, leaning back is not a sign of being disrespectful. To a degree, it's a sign of being formal and attentive, that a person is paying attention, they're sitting upright, they're giving their best. So the same thing goes when it comes to tilawah of the Qur'an. Sit in a manner that represents respect. Even if it means that you are a little uncomfortable, that is okay. If you're sitting in your bed and you're going to read the Qur'an, instead of extending your legs, maybe fold them in. It's not going to hurt you. But you're doing a little something. And that little something that you're doing, in reality, is your heart shouting and speaking out loud how much adab and ihtiram it has for the Qur'an. Small acts go very far in life. A person who reads Quran, he should be alone, sitting as if he is sitting right before his teacher. Now, um, the second thing that Imam Ghazali says, Al-Thani fi miqdar al-Quran, the second is to read the Quran in the correct portions. Reading too much Qur'an at once can exhaust a person and kill the consistency. If you read the whole Qur'an in one day, or even five juz in one day, it's not sustainable. Now, if you're doing a marathon sort of thing, which is a thing, like you're like, you know what, this weekend I'm going to push my limits, that's great. But you know that you can't maintain this, so have a habit that you can maintain, knowing that there might be these small moments where you're able to go all out. Our teacher, Sheikh Yusuf who I had the honor of studying with, he would do this gathering in the madrasa. 
um, where he would say, whoever wishes to join can join. And those that would come would be required to read the whole Quran before leaving. You couldn't leave until you read the whole Quran. People would stay for a whole night. Some would stay for a whole day. And every person sitting there would do tilawa of... Is that right, Ahmed? You went to any of those gatherings? Yeah. Everyone was required to read the whole Quran. It was a one-off thing every now and then to really push people that read the Quran, read the Quran. Now there is a big question of if a person reads the Quran and they're reading so much Quran, that may mean that they're not fulfilling the haq of the Quran. Yes and no. Yes, in the sense that if a person isn't fulfilling the haq of the Quran, if they're just rustling their way through the words and they're not pronouncing things properly, then that's not correct, you shouldn't do that. But at the same time, a person could read with some pace and within eight, nine hours do khatam of the Quran. It's very doable. The whole Quran, if you know the Quran, if you're half of the Quran, if you read it fluently within nine hours, you can do khatam of the whole Quran and it's not difficult. That person's reading with focus and many of the mashayikh who I knew, their relationship with the Quran wasn't a Ramadan thing, it was through the, through the year. Just starting the ayah would trigger all the discussions related to the ayah right away. Right? So Imam Sa'id was reading the ayat of Wasiyah. As soon as he started, you seekumullah salah, all the ahkam started popping in. Mother's gonna get this, the brother's gonna get this, the husband's gonna get this, kids, no kids, wife's gonna get this, kids, no kids, because it's all there in the Quran. These are ayat that you engage with regularly. So for a person that has that regular engagement, their ability to interact with the Quran is it's fluid, it just flows, it just keeps it happens as you're reading. Versus someone who is new to this, who may not be acquainted with this. When you are reading the Quran, build a habit that is stable, that is normal. One of the things that I say to students is, outside Ramadan, try to at least have a 20-minute window of reading the Quran. At least 20 minutes. Now, how much you read in that 20 minutes is up to you. You read one juz, you read half a juz, you read five pages, you read two pages. But at least 20 minutes a day, sit down with the Quran and make this your routine leading up to Ramadan. And if you can't read, which is, I don't, I don't believe that, but let's run the scenario that you're saying, I can't read, then at least listen to 20 minutes of the Qur'an. You can do that. Play the Qur'an and follow along and try to read. You know, these days, the apps they have, they actually highlight the part the guy's reciting in his voice. It like does it for you. You don't have to even do much. You just have to look, be present, pay attention. And they have the translation connected to it as well, so you can follow along and understand what's going on. But dedicate time to the recitation of the Qur'an. Imam Ghazali has some very powerful advice here for people who uh, wish to build this relationship. He says that, you know, Intense. That for someone who is uh, intent on developing a relationship with Allah and is really committed, their goal should be to do two khatams a week. That lands you more or less at 10 juz a day. I had classmates that, that would do this. There was one classmate of ours who we studied with. We studied together throughout and he was in the Dara Hadith here. And while we were in the last year of our Alamiya program, he made a habit of reading 10 juz a day. If you saw him walking around, he was hafid, so it was easier. 
if you saw him walking around, he was just doing tilab, just reading. Even during soccer, I caught him reading. <laughs> True story. We were playing soccer and I looked and I said, buddy, what are you doing? He's like, finishing off my hizb. I said, who's going to be a defender? I mean, like, I'm all religious and stuff too, but get back to your defending duties right now. This guy's taking a break, a Quran break. Our sheikh once shared a story with us regarding a guy who lived in South Africa who was a delivery man. So he used to deliver parcels throughout the day. He'd go to the depot, pick up the parcels, and throughout the day drive around, deliver them. And it was, he said to our sheikh that it's my habit to, he was half that it's my habit to do khatam of the entire Qur'an every day. Every day at work, I start, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, and nine, ten hours later when I close my engine, I do khatam of the whole Qur'an every single day. It's absurd, isn't it? However, When people love things, they figure it out. I know young guys who clock in 12 hours every day on their phone. These phones keep track, by the way. I know people that have told me that they spend eight hours straight gaming. People spend 10 hours a day working. They love it. Someone spends 10 hours a day, you know, just watching nonsense. You get home at eight o'clock, oh, it's 12, it's two. 8 p.m. to what time? How many hours is that? Six hours. I love tool every day, by the way. It's not a one-day thing. Every day, the guy's like, oh, it's 2 o'clock, time to go to sleep. Oh, it's 2 o'clock, time to go to sleep. When people love something, they figure it out. Now, I know what I'm saying, eight juz a day, a whole Quran, maybe a lot. And that's why we have to be careful because we don't want to set the bar so high that people that are still at that entry level are terrified. Like, I can't do this. That's why that time is very important. Do 20 minutes. You can do that. How much ever fits in that 20 minutes is up to you. In Ramadan, triple it. Make it an hour. That every day in Ramadan, my goal is to sit with the Quran for one hour. If I sit with the Quran for one hour, I'll be able to, inshallah, fulfill the haq of the Quran. One or two more points. Where is it going? Ar This is in Kitaba. You know, I was telling you guys earlier about the whole red dots and using colored pens when writing. This is all here. وَرُوِيَ عَنِ الشَّعْبِ وَالْإِبْرَاهِيمِ كَرَاهِيَةَ النُّقَطِ بِالْحُمْرَةِ Okay, number five. There you are. التَّرْتِيلُ وَهُوَ الْمُسْتَحَبْ فِي هَيْئَةِ الْقُرْآنِ And when you're reading the Qur'an, read it calmly. Understand what you're doing. Fulfill the haq of the Qur'an. أَنَّ الْمَقْصُودَ مِنَ الْقِرَاءَةِ أَتَّفَكُرُ وَالتَّرْتِيلُ مُعِينٌ عَلَيْهِ The main goal of the Qur'an is reflecting on it. So when you read the Qur'an slowly with proper pronunciation, uh, it will help you in connecting with the meaning of the Qur'an. That Umm Salma radiallahu anha, the Prophet's wife, she describes the recitation of the Prophet of Allah. She says, when Rasulullah would read, it was a very clean recitation. Every letter was, was distinct. Right? He wasn't mumbling up words. Just every word 
had its right haqq. وَقَالَ ابْنُ عَبَّاسِ لَنْ أَقْرَأَ الْبَقْرَةَ وَآلَ عُمْرَانَ أُرَتِّلُهُمَا وَأَتَدَبَّرُهُمَا أَحَبَّ إِلَيَّ مِنَا نَقْرَأَ الْقُرْآنَ هَذْرَمَةً Ibn Abbas said, I prefer to read a small portion of the Qur'an properly than reading a lot of it. Hadhrawa means quickly, sari'an, just rushing through it, going through it, full pace. So reading the Qur'an slowly. The next thing that Imam Ghazali says, as-sadis al-buka, that a person should cry when they're reading the Qur'an, engage with it emotionally. He talks more about this in the next chapter, which is about the internal aspects of reading the Qur'an. The Prophet ﷺ said in one narration to read the Qur'an and to cry while reading it. So to really commit to the Qur'an while you're reading. Salih al-Murri says, Qara'atul Qur'ana ala Rasulillah fil manam. That one day I saw the Prophet of Allah in my dream. So I recited the Qur'an to him. فَقَالَ لِي يَا You read the Qur'an, but where are the tears? Allah says, What's next? That when they heard revelation, they broke out into tears. It had such a profound impact on them. And the last one we'll cover for today is um, when there's three, four of them, they're all really good. Let's do this one. And you ayat. They'll fulfill the haqq of the ayah. What that means is that when you read the Quran, if you come across an ayah, when you hear ayah sajda, the haqq of the Quran is that you then do your sajda. And don't rush into sajda. Take your time. Reflect on it. Maybe shed a few tears and then go into sajda. Likewise, if a person reads an ayah of the Qur'an that mentions tasbih, then do some tasbih. Sabih bihamdi rabbika wa kum sajideen. Tasbih of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If the Qur'an says kabir wa kabirhu takbira, then say Allahu Akbar. Because the Qur'an is telling us in that moment that this is what needs to be done. It's teaching us to engage with the Qur'an. Similarly, Hadifa radiallahu anh says, صليت مع رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم فابتدأ سورة البقرة فكان لا يمر بآية بآية رحمة إلا سأل ولا بآية عذاب إلا استعاذ ولا بآية تنزيه إلا سبح رسول رسول عليه الصلاة والسلام while reading the Quran the the Sahabi says that I heard the Prophet of Allah he would not pass by an ayah of رحمة but he would ask Allah for it he would not come across a word an ayah of of عذاب but he would seek protection from it and there was not a moment that anyone attributed any faults to Allah. But he said, subhanAllah, that this, my Allah, is above this, this false attribution. Uh, and then when Rasulullah finished his recitation, at the end of it, he made a short dua, which was a dua that the Prophet of Allah would make at the end of his khatam of the whole Qur'an. That dua the Prophet of Allah would make at the end of khatam of Qur'an, Allahumma arhamni bil Qur'an waj'alhu li imaman wa nuran wa hudan wa rahmah Allahumma dhakkirni minhu ma nasitu wa 'allimni minhu ma jahiltu warzuqni tilawatahu ana al-layl wa atraf al-nahar waj'alhu li hujjatan ya Iraqi by the way while narrating this dua he gives takhrij at the bottom 
he says, min ibn Qais What that means is that this is a weak narration. There's inqita in the narration. It's not a connected chain. And in the istilah that makes it questionable. Nonetheless, we learn adab that are known that we're supposed to fulfill the adab of the Quran in making dua. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us tawfiq to understand and allow us to build a meaningful relationship with the Quran. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.